0: Well, good morning, church. Wonder what book of the Bible we're in. Hey, Amen. Would you get your Bibles and open the 1st Timothy chapter 4? And we're going to talk about last days' departures. It should come as no surprise to you that as the closer we draw to the coming of Christ, the more and more you will see people turn away from Christ. Already, statistics are telling us that those who were cultural Christians have now been weeded out by COVID. Well, amen. It's a good thing. It really is. Uh, the The difficulties and trials of uh, being a Christian in these days also has weeded others out. Those that have made some move toward Jesus but never really trusted upon him for life and eternal life, uh, they have moved on. And uh, they're not coming back to church. Statistics tell us they're not coming back to church. And uh, many churches are losing a large uh, part of their congregation because it was built upon such easy believism and all of those things. And so I want to just commend you, church, because uh, we're not really that far off from what we uh, were doing pre-COVID, right? And so y'all must really want it, You're gluttons for punishment or something. I have no idea what it is. But we're going to say that you're in the faith, right? That you truly love Jesus and you want to follow him and you take seriously his commands. But don't be surprised that you will see people continue to fall away from the faith. And the scripture tells us that in the last days that that will happen. God calls us to follow his word and to trust him And to trust his way of saving us. And to trust his way of sanctifying us. The devil is always trying to give you a shortcut. God's way leads to life. Satan's way leads to death. It's as simple as that. But we live in a day and time where people are departing more and more from the true faith. There are still those uh, churches that are in existence. But yet they have very little resemblance to the true faith or the faith of the apostles and so they continue to function perhaps but as far as being faithful to the word of God they are not and so we want to be sure that God would preserve us we ask him if he would to protect us and help us not to wander away from the faith it's so easy to do it's so easy to be led astray and so we want to stand firm we want to be loving and kind with people but we don't want to in any way affirm that which is false and so we won't do that so we know that we are in the last days now I don't know what that means as far as the coming of Jesus will it be this afternoon it'll be okay with me you you, a lot of you all won't have to refill your meds and stuff so you know come Monday so be a cost saver so it could be. It could be this afternoon. It could be next week. could be next year. We don't know. It uh, may not be in our lifetime. Uh, maybe it won't be. But we do know this, that at the resurrection of Jesus, a whole new epoch started. And the countdown began. And we don't know when the Lord will return, but we do know this. It will be right on time, according to His timetable and according to His schedule. And as it gets closer to that time, you'll see more and more people turning away from the true faith. So in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul has been encouraging and talking about uh, doctrine and holding true to sound doctrine of the faith. And then he's been talking about how to apply it. And, and he gives specifically what you do in the local church, how you apply that and how you apply it to your leadership, to your pastors, and your elders, and to uh, your deacons. <clears throat> and so then, uh, Pastor Dan preached last Sunday on the mystery of godliness, and so the very heart and foundation of true doctrine is Christ Himself. And um, and so you you saw that. So now we have in chapter 4 another application. This is an illustration of what happens when people do not hold true to the doctrine of the apostles? When they do not hold true to the faith? What happens? And he gives an illustration here of what takes place in people's lives when we do not do that. First of all, he gives us the caution about error. There's a caution here about following after theological error. Bad doctrine leads to bad living. And so look what he says in chapter 4, 1 Timothy, verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So there's a caution here about error. First, the Spirit gives a clear alert. Now, the Spirit expressly says, do you see that? Express, expressly, clearly says that in the last times there will be apostasy. The word depart there is uh, apostatize. That is, they have an outer form of Christianity. And they practice it outwardly. But their heart is far from God. They never really surrender their heart and will over to Jesus and so they depart they apostatize from the faith and the Spirit has expressly warned about this now how's he expressly warned all through the Bible you see the Spirit of God warning about this even in the Old Testament those who would not truly follow the law they were to be cast outside the camp so you see that happening you see in Paul's own ministry he talks about it even here in 1 in, uh, Timothy about Hymenaeus and Alexander. Those who were close relationships with him. And they apparently had followed Christ. They apparently had trusted upon Jesus at some point in their life. And so outwardly they appeared to be followers of Christ. But then they were easily led astray and went after other things and departed from Jesus. They never truly were in the faith. We see this uh, also in the parable of the sower where we have really 75% of those who make some profession of faith really never were in the faith. That only a small portion of them actually were rooted in Christ and bear fruit, proving to be his disciples. So do not be surprised, the Spirit is telling us, because the Spirit has warned all through the scriptures That in the later times, some will depart from the faith. Praise God, it's only some. It's not all. There are those who are truly founded in Christ. And those who would not depart from Jesus, even at the point of torture. They would not leave Christ. They cannot leave Christ. Because they are chosen in Him from the foundation of the world. They would not be able to do it if they wanted to. And they don't want to. So here we have the Apostle Paul telling us. Don't be surprised. The Spirit has already warned you about this. Isn't it easy? Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever had a friend. A close friend. And you thought that your friend was really a Christian. It, It appeared that it. Some point in their life they kind of cleaned their life up. It they looked started acting better. They began to attend church. They were baptized. They joined the church. They began to serve. And they began to work in the ministry of the church. And they apparently would work very hard. They're very dedicated people. And as soon as their kids graduate from high school, you couldn't find them. Has that ever happened to you? That's happened to me over and over in ministry. And you try to talk to them about the things of the Lord and they don't have any interest in it. And you realize that they were using the church to try to protect their family from the harm of the world. It was really a self-centered existence the whole time. They really never were in Christ. They never really had this love for Jesus that passes every other love in their life. They never had it. And it's grieving because you've known them you perhaps ministered with them on many occasions. You've worked with them. You've you've prayed with them. You've had many conversations with them about the things of God. And yet at the end it turned out that they departed from the faith. It's a painful thing. I've had it happen with pastors and preachers that I've known. And they departed. I'm not talking about people that sinned. I'm talking about people that walk away from Christ never to return, to go and do their own thing. And it's grieving, but the Spirit says, don't be surprised. Do not be surprised. Now, the Bible is not telling you this so that you'll be suspicious of one another. But the Bible is telling you this because this is the way that it is. And what happens is, as the pressure mounts... As the culture continues to turn against Christians, those who are truly evangelical, Bible-believing Christians, the culture continues, even the Christian culture, quote, Christian culture, turns against it. More and more people will depart from the true faith. They can't stomach it. Why? Because they never were really in the faith. It's really a good day when God begins to prune His church. You see, you've been coached, And it's been beaten into your mind that the more people that come, the better your church is, the more healthy is. No. When the saved people join your church, that's a good day. It's not about how many people you can load in a facility. It's about how many souls you can get into the kingdom. It's about how many can truly come to know Jesus and to carefully deal with those souls. I've seen pastors show less care for the soul of people and to shoe them in to some kind of church membership, they show less care than a doctor shows for a headache. We're in the business of doctoring people's souls. We're here to help them diagnose the malady that they have, to lead them to the gospel, which is the cure for their sickness that they have, and to lead them to join a Bible-believing church so that God may continue to work in their life and grow them up in Christ so that they will not depart from the faith. That's our job. It doesn't matter as a church how many water bottles you give out to the community. Or if you get out and sweep the streets and all of it. We're not here to do that. Do you want your doctor to be out doing those things? Or do you want him to be curing people? The church belongs in the community to cure sin. That's why we're here. We don't like to say that because it's not popular. It doesn't make you a popular church. But it makes you a purposeful church. You have a reason. And as long as you keep focused upon that, you're going to see some. That are going to truly come to Jesus and will not leave him for love nor money. But always you'll have those who make a move toward Christ but never do give their lives to Christ. I had a guy one time, I preached a sermon on tithing. And I'd been talking to this guy, Ernie, I'd been talking to him about Christ for months. And uh, I thought this guy was never going to come to Jesus. He just—he was as nice as he could be. His wife had called me crying, I don't think Ernie's saved. And I said, ma'am, I know he's not, but I, 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 she, was, she was convinced I could save him. I can't save anybody. I can't save a drowning cat. I can't save nothing. So I, I'd, I'd go down and talk to Ernie. He was polite, offered a cup of coffee and said, no, thank you. One day I preached a sermon on tithing and Ernie showed up at church his wife probably dragged him there and uh, preached a sermon on tithing and Ernie comes forward. I thought, well, what's he going to do? Confess he ain't not been tithing? What's going on with this guy? He comes to me and says, preacher, I'm, I'm ready to trust Jesus. I said, okay, tell me how this sermon helps you come to Jesus. I, I'm not sure. He said, well, the one thing I loved in my life more than God was my money. And the Bible broke that in me today. And I am ready to give everything to Jesus. You see, he had one love that was standing between him and Christ. And it's not until he gave that love up that he could truly love Jesus. Many people will have some kind of affection for Jesus. But they love other things more. And what happens when the pressure comes, they will depart from the faith. So the, the Spirit says, don't be surprised. Just make sure it's not you. Just make sure You make sure you're truly in Christ. You make sure. The Bible will give you assurance, but you need to make sure. So there's a clear alert. Then there's the cold apostasy. They depart from the faith. Now, what is, what is the this apostasy? How does it happen? Well, here's what they do. They do it by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. They devote themselves. Now, by devoting themselves, you'll notice the I-N-G, devoting. And that means it's an ongoing action. That means this is a lifestyle. It doesn't mean that they have messed up and temporarily believed something that was false and realized their wrongness in it and turned around and said, No, that's wrong. i got to believe the truth. It's not that. These people are now living a lifestyle of devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Now, the teachings of demons. Now, this is a, a subjective genitive uh, here of demons, meaning that it's the teaching coming from demons. It doesn't mean that if you study about demons in the Bible that you're doing the wrong thing. It means that this is the teaching that comes from demons. And you're going to be shocked at the teaching of demons here in just a moment. Exactly what they're teaching in this particular situation. But these people are devoting themselves to it. Now who are the messengers of this apostasy? It says through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So the apostasy, the walking away... Of these people from Christ. The means how they're doing it. Is by devoting themselves to this false teaching. And the messengers of the false teaching. Are those who are insincere of heart. And have consciences that are seared. Now it says that their consciences are seared. And in those days. If you were a slave or a criminal. You were branded. So that everyone would know. And a lot of times the branding was right here above your eyebrow. Everyone could look you in the face. And know. That you were a criminal or had been captured as a prisoner of war or that you were a debtor, had not paid your debts and had to become a slave to someone in order to pay off your debts. So everyone could look at you and they would know. The word seared here, uh, we get uh, the word cauterize from it. Y'all ever had that done? I had that done one time when I was a kid. My nose would bleed every time I played football. So... The doctor decided to shove this very long Q-tip up my snoot. And uh, it was had that, you know, kind of steam-looking stuff coming off of it. I didn't realize what they were going to do to me. And so he cauterized the blood vessel up in there. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that. <clears throat> so primitive doctoring, I would say. So, uh, do that. What what does it do? It it burns. It causes scar tissue to grow over it so that it will no longer bleed. That's what you do. You you cauterize. That's that's how it works. So these people have had their consciences cauterized. That is, like with a branding iron, they've had it scarred and hardened by scar tissue. And so as a result of that, their conscience is no longer able... To dictate to them right action and wrong action. You know, God works through the conscience of a man. Even those who do not know Christ. But they can see from general revelation, from natural revelation, things that are right and wrong. You can go out into a cow pasture with a bull and some heifers and realize that homosexuality is wrong. Amen. Amen. It's natural revelation. And so you, you know in your mind this is not right. You can live with people in the community and realize stealing is wrong. You may have never read the Ten Commandments, but stealing just is not right. And so that's built into your conscience. This is not right to do. Talking bad about people when y'all not be talking about people. You know that in your mind it's bad. You shouldn't be doing that. And so, even if you're a lost person, this explains why those who are not Christians can sometimes do some very good things because their conscience has been conditioned in a certain way, maybe out of their household, by the community they live in, that certain things are right and wrong. And so, their conscience will bother them if they do those things that are wrong. But here's the problem. If you dedicate yourself to sin long enough and to falsehood long enough, your conscience will become seared and you no longer have a north star. You no longer have a navigating force in your heart. And you can do sinful things, ungodly things with a cold heart and it doesn't bother you at all. And these people that are teaching this falsehood, that's the condition Of their very conscience. They're not being swayed one way or the other. By right and wrong. They have an agenda. And that's all they're going to do. Have you ever run into people like that? Go do prison ministry. You'll run into people with a seared conscience. But not only that. Go to Wall Street. You'll find people that do not care. What happens to others. As long as they get what they're aiming for. They could care less. People are stepping stones. To keep their feet on dry land. They don't care what happens to others. Just give me what I want. And so their consciences become seared. So if you continually commit sin against your conscience. Your conscience eventually will become seared. It will become hardened. It will become carterized, No longer able to feel. And as a result of that. Then you can go into all kinds of ungodliness. And the spirit of God has no means by which. To guide you any other way. This is what is happening in our nation by the way. A nation not of Christian people. Now it's the the majority of people in our nation are lost. They don't know Christ. The overwhelming majority do not know Christ. But we have a history of Christian morals and values. Those Christian morals and values, Judeo-Christian morals and values have been hammered into our conscience. But what's happening these days is people have begun to purposely throw those off and on purpose go against them. And as a result, their conscience is becoming seared and they can no longer understand the difference between right and wrong. That's what's happening. So you want to be sure that in your family you teach your children, this is right and this is wrong. There's a punishment for doing wrong. There's a reward for doing right. And you want to teach that to your children so that their conscience will be sensitive to God. And then when the day comes, the Spirit of God begins to convict them that they can feel that. They can sense it. They can know that it's God that's telling them that they must come to Jesus. So you want to do that in your, in your family. But we live in a world in which there is no conscience. It's just been seared over. Why? Years and years and years of false teaching. Years and years of nothing from the pulpit but self-help and all kinds of uh, pseudo-spirituality that comes from the pulpits in our country. And we've taught people, basically, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're a victim. It's somebody else's fault. And those kinds of things. And we want people to leave here feeling good. And as a result of that, people have no concept of God and His judgment. And his laws. And his demands. And not even of his love. They don't know. So this is the caution about error. Now here's an illustration of this error. Now what kind of grave error are these people leading others into? Hold on to to, to your seats now. Look look at this error they're leading into. Verse 3. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. That doesn't sound that bad. I know you thought that there was going to be something like orgies. Um, there's going to be something here about Satan worship or something like that. But, but the doctrine of demons, the teaching of demons here, by these liars, with seared consciences, what are they teaching people? Forbid marriage and abstinence, abstinence from certain foods. Now, if you have the King James Bible, it say abstinence, "abstinence from meats," but you have to understand that in 1611, the word "meats" also meant food, okay? In general, it wasn't just just meat, okay? So it's just talking about food in general, certain kinds of food. So, what is the what is the 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 error here? This illustration? Well, number one, avoiding marriage, forbid marriage. What kind of Christianity forbids marriage? Why would you forbid something that God has ordained? But see, here's the reason they do that. People do this. This particular group of people, here's what they're aiming at. You can be even more godly. Higher than other people if you will not get married. That will put, see, because what they're teaching is... The married relationship, marriage relationship is dirty. That through, especially through sexuality, that it's dirty and corrupting. And so if you will abstain from that and not get married and you won't have to do that, then therefore, you can be more godly than other people. See, it's sanctification by human willpower. That's what we're looking at. And let me ask you this question from your own personal experience and from observing how that works in the world. Have you seen that that produces a higher level of godliness to abstain from marriage? See, when we don't obey God, we're not going to have a higher standard of godliness than God has. When we disobey God in these things, we're going to have a lower standard of godliness. When we take God's standard and say, Oh, we're going to one-up God and we're going to go higher than that. What we find ourselves doing is setting ourselves up as if we're God and that we can sanctify ourselves by our own will. And do you know what that produces? Pride. Do you know what God does with pride? He brings it down every time. And so you, you, we, we can't take these things that God has said is good and do it. Now you say, what about what Paul said? <clears throat> Some people can serve the Lord as single better than they can as a married person. Yeah, absolutely true. I know missionaries that can go certain places. They're young men that go places in the world. They really couldn't take a family. But I would remind you that Peter was married and he did pretty good. Okay, so it's not about marriage is a bad thing. It's not about marriage is unspiritual. It's not about marriage is ungodly. It's about sometimes there are things that God will call you to do that it's not conducive for a family to be involved in. That's why we tell our young people, hey, go into the journeyman program with the IMB and go ahead and do that for a couple of years while you're single. Why? Because it's tough when you're married. It's tough when you've got a family and you've got to take them overseas. So do that while you're single. So there's a practical reason for that, but not a spiritual one. It's not a spiritual reason. And so these false teachers are teaching to avoid marriage. Now, what else are they teaching? To abstain from certain foods. It says require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Okay, so abstaining from certain foods. Let me me just give you a list here. The maker's diet. What would Jesus eat? Pray your weight. Hallelujah diet. 3-D plan, the Daniel plan. You know what all these have in common? They're Christian diet programs, Christian diet programs. See, because the pagans don't know how to get skinny. These things usually are combined with some kind of Jewish dietary regulations. For example, the Daniel diet, the Daniel plan. Let's think about that for just a moment. The idea is there that Daniel and and the boys, they would not eat the king's meat or drink the king's wine. So they ate vegetables. And so at the end of the, the trial period, they came out healthier than the others. What is the meaning of that? The meaning is not vegetarians are healthier than those who love meat. That's not the story. The story is that Daniel and his friends decided to reject the meat of idolatry that was being used in idolatrous practice to idolize and worship Nebuchadnezzar. And they rejected the things of the world in order to make a clear stance that they didn't have to have that in order to follow the Lord. The Lord would preserve them. It wasn't about carrots. It was about proving that God is God. It's not about that. But these people have decided in our day that they can make money off of this. And so they're telling you they know what Daniel ate. They don't know what Daniel ate. They don't know. They're telling you they know for $29.99. They don't know. This I'm going to tell you who's getting fat off of these Christian plans. The people that come up with them. It's a $1 billion a year industry. I wrote a book about the wrong thing. I wrote one about the Bible. I should have wrote about diet. So the the issue here is, here's what's going on. Why is this such a bad thing? Is it a bad thing to be healthy? No, it's not a bad thing. It's it's not a bad thing to be healthy. That's not what the Bible's saying here. Here's, Here's the problem that's going on. These people in Paul's day and here in Ephesus are teaching people that if you do these things, you will have, by your strength and your power, become more godly, more holy, and right with God, as opposed to the other people who are not doing it. The book of Colossians addresses this. Don't eat, don't touch. Why are you following those things and those regulations of the Jewish culture, which is meant to point to the substance You're following the sign. You're pursuing the sign. And you have the substance, which is Christ. You're ignoring Christ. Because you're so wrapped up in the sign that points to Christ. Why did God have those regulations of diet upon the Jewish culture in those days? To set them apart from all the pagans. So that they would not participate in the pagan feast and the things that the pagans did. So that the world would see that they were different. I, do, I, I abstain from some things so that the world will know that I'm different. There are things I could do that are permissible. But I want the world to know I'm a little different. Most of you know I am a little different. So there you go. But they're trying to say this is how you get closer to God. Now here's, here's the fact. Listen to me now. Here's the fallacy. Here's what they're doing. They're telling you the way to change your soul. Is by modifying your behavior. And if you'll stop doing these things. You'll get better inwardly. Jesus said the opposite. This morning we just prayed. It's from out of the heart that proceed these things. Do you know why some of us struggle with weight problems? Now I know some of you are going to come storming to me in the Andrew room afterwards. I have a medical condition. I know. I know. It's a soul problem. There's something in your life that is unfulfilling and you're medicating yourself with food. Or it's a soul problem. It's a lack of discipline in your life. It's a soul problem. And it does show outwardly when you have a soul problem. The, reason, the way that you solve that is to do something about your soul. Your soul then will affect your outward. These people are telling you the opposite here in in these people teaching error. That if you'll do something about the outward, it will change your soul. And that is false. See the subtlety of Satan, you're saying, well, what, what's the big deal? It's teaching you, they're t- the Satan here is teaching you to rely upon yourself for salvation and rely upon your effort for sanctification. If you'll do that and you'll do your best and you'll work hard and you'll outwardly conform to, to what looks like it's godly, then you will be godly. And everyone else around you will look at you. You know what, I've, every time I've run into people, they're doing one of these crazy diets. Here's what I get from them looking down their orange nose at me. Well, I'm doing it God's way. God's way. Really? I'm going to tell you something right now. When I go over to Longhorn and down one of those cows, that's God's way. God's way. Give me God's way. But see, it's a pride issue then. Because a pride issue. I Look what I did. So whether it's forbidding marriage whether it's forbidding certain foods whether it's some other thing that comes jazzercise for jesus or whatever you're going to do whenever you're looking at those things you're thinking if if outwardly i'll put this effort in and i'll work really hard i'll be more like christ in this way i'm doing it all for god and all those kind of things you're doing it wrongly why would you not go to the means of grace that god has given you so that your soul will be changed and that will begin to cure some of your outward ills Why would you not do that? What are the means of grace? The preaching of the word. The gathering of the saints. The Lord's supper. Your own private devotional time. Your prayer time. Those are the means of grace. But no. We won't put our time into that. We're not going to put our effort into that. We're going to put our effort into making meatloaf that tastes like cardboard. Why? Because we can do it. And we lost our grasp. Upon the head who is Christ. And we've grasped ourselves and decided we're going to make ourselves better. It's the same old problem that Satan has always introduced in the human lives. And that is self-help and good works. That's what we like to do. Why? Because in the end we can say, look what I did. So how do you refute error? I mean, why does... You know, the question would be, why does Satan and the doctrine of demons go to things like this? It's Because... There's an element of truth in it. There's something, there's an element of truth in these things. Should you eat better for better health? Yes. Should you not be a glutton? Yes. Should you fast occasionally for the purpose of godliness? Yes. Should you be very careful about marriage? Yes. Are there some advantages to being single? Yes. Yes. And so Satan knows where he can gain ground. All he has to do is gain ground and gain this ground in a small area to cause you to begin to trust upon yourselves, and then he can lead you down that path. That's his strategy. He always goes for an easy victory, and then he can go from there. So that's the illustration of the error. It doesn't seem ground shaking, does it? But it is because it teaches you to shift your trust off of Christ and His way and to shift it onto yourself. Now, the refutation of the error. How do you, how do you get rid of this? Verse 4 and 5. Uh, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So, how do you refute error? How do you get over it? Well, accurate theology matters. And the theology here is simply this. Everything created by God is good. God has made a general covenant with all of humanity through Noah. It's not a saving covenant, but it's a general covenant of good grace upon the human race. And here's what he said. Listen to this that's included in his covenant. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I take it seriously. If it moves, kill it, eat it. There, there is no sanctifying power in refusing to have a steak. Now, you might want to cut down on the amount of red meat because it can be harmful to blood vessels. I got that. So you want to be careful. Everything in moderation, right? Flows, fillet, eight ounce or something. Okay, so everything in moderation. You don't want to eat that every day. So you want to watch out for your health? Yes. But it's not a matter of godliness, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. There is no hallelujah diet except when you get that big steak in your mouth and that's hallelujah. And that's when you thank you, Jesus. If I forget to say the blessing before I eat that first bite, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We need to thank God for this now. So this is for all of humanity. And so what's happened is these people are ignoring the scripture. They're ignoring the Word of God. They're making up their own revelation. They're making up their own way. And so it's simply a matter of, what does God say? Do that. The body's condition might be modified by the health of your soul. That's true. If you're down in your soul, what happens? You cry. Or your face is downcast. Or you're discouraged. Or some people call it depressed. Everything's depressed if you're feeling a little down. We have depression in Ohio from December to about April, dark, gray, scarlet and gray, good colors. So everything, the body's condition is often changed by the health of the soul, but the soul's health is not changed by the condition of the body. So accurate theology matters. Now, what about applied theology? And he says, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. How do you apply the scriptures here? How how do you apply Genesis chapter 9 and verse 3 in your life today? I mean, Noah just gets off the boat and you're supposed to apply that. Yes, here's how you apply it. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's what you're supposed to be doing. If you marry, make sure you marry to the glory of God. That God would look at the marriage and be able to say, Yes, that promotes my name. Yes, that brings me honor. Yes, that reflects my character. Do it to the glory of God. If you can't do it to the glory of God, don't do it. What about what you're supposed to be eating? Can you do it to the glory of God? There are certain things I just can't eat to the glory of God. Sorry. They're just nasty tasting. I can't do it to the glory of God. It didn't say eat everything to the glory of God. It just says whatever you do. Do it all to the glory of God. So, okay. So what do we do with this? This is a weird message, right? This is weird. I mean, how many... How many pastors, you know, are you going to get up on Sunday what are you going to preach on? Well, I don't know, marriage and abstaining from food. You know, my people love this. And so, what, what, do you, what do you do with this? So, here's what you do each of us has to ask ourselves this question Have I fallen into the trap of what I'm going to call externalism? And that is constantly trying to modify the outward. Instead of aiming for the inward. Do you know why that's so easy to do? It's easy to modify outwardly because you get kudos for that, don't you? You get encouraged. My pastor looked like, Pastor, you look like you've dropped a couple of pounds. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about myself these days. But nobody ever comes to you and says, hey, I've noticed about your character. You just seem to be more in love with Jesus than I've ever seen you before. See, we don't encourage each other in the things of godliness. We encourage each other in the things of externalism. And as a result of that, it's easy to fall into the trap of getting encouragement from people because you feel like you need encouragement, and you do. And so it leads us down this road of trying to modify our outward behavior rather than trying to aim for godliness which comes through Christ alone and the means that he has ordained. Are you trying to make yourself more Christ-like by your own plan, by your own effort, rather than holding on to the source with all you got, who is Christ? Are you trusting in Christ to make you more godly? Or are you trusting in your plan to make you more godly? One is godliness. The other is the doctrine of demons. Be sure you fall on the side of godliness. Now, this same trap or trick of Satan's also applies for those who are not followers of Christ yet. What does Satan lead you to do? To think that you can be good enough. To think that you can finally come to the place where you live your life good enough that God's going to accept it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that boat has sailed at the Garden of Eden. It's no longer, it's no longer taking reservations. You you can't work your way to heaven. You can't make yourself good enough. You can't make yourself acceptable to God. You you can't do that. Only Christ can do that for you. Again, it's the same principle. Are you trusting in the source of righteousness, or are you trying to make yourself righteous? In order to be acceptable to him. You must put your faith and trust in Christ. What he's done for you on the cross. To pay for your sin. And the resurrected Lord. To impart to you the righteousness that you need. In order to be acceptable to the father. Which way are you leaning on that? Satan's lie leads to death. God's way leads to life. I would recommend that you choose his. Let's pray together. Father in Jesus name. We thank you and praise you. That you point out to us even what apparently is the slightest of errors that would lead us into the gravest of sin. I pray, Father, for those who are here today that are your followers, the followers of Jesus, that have fallen into the trap of thinking more highly of themselves than they ought because they have conformed some things in their outward life to apparently look godly, but yet their heart is far from you. They've trusted in themselves and they're not trusting in the source of godliness who is Christ. I ask you, Father, that you would turn their hearts back to relying upon you and utilizing the means of godliness that you have ordained and trusting that to make them godly. I pray also for those who have not yet trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, still trusting in themselves still trusting in their good works, still trusting in perhaps some experience that they've had with Christianity in the past, but they've never really trusted upon Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would release them from the bondage and slavery to the philosophy that they are now in, the the teaching of demons. And Lord, you would free them to trust upon Christ and his saving grace today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.